morning to each of you. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, a couple things before we begin this morning. Uh, I need to thank you, church family, for allowing my family to have some vacation time away at the beach. Uh, I couldn't get my kids out of the water, and we watched Shark Week on Discovery Channel. While we were at the ocean, it was, it was a blast. They didn't even care. We couldn't get them out of it. But I want to thank you this morning for giving me that time and that opportunity, my family that opportunity to be together. Uh, a couple of other things. Uh, we have a vision board that meets once a quarter, and that board gets together, and they decide uh, our vision and our goals for the year. And one of the goals that we've had over this last year is to create an environment where we have meaningful and moving worship. Meaningful and moving worship. And we have some amazing, amazing, gifted, talented musicians. By the way, can we thank our worship, worship team this morning? You guys did a great job. But we're always trying to take it up one more notch. And I don't know if you remember, there was a gentleman named Todd who joined us in July. He led worship for us for two weeks. He is filled with energy. He's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet in your life. Uh, Todd has agreed to join our team uh, starting August 20th. And I'm telling you, I'm excited for Shana and for Skylar and for Ribbon and their family to be part of ours. And um, so we're, we're excited about him. The other thing is that Pastor Jeannie, who is one of our worship leaders here, I, I got to say, you want to you talk about what grace looks like? Just, just watch her for a few minutes. Here's somebody who's decided that they will, they will get over themselves, themselves, just for one minute, and she is now going to take on more of a pastoral role, where she will be doing administrative stuff. She's making sure our small groups and other other systems that we have in place are working well, so we can make this a healthy and thriving community. So you'll be hearing a lot from her. Uh, you'll be going to her quite a bit because she has skills and gifts that I don't have. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit that. Uh, by the way, if you missed last week and you missed Jeannie leading us through a time of teaching, you missed an amazing message. Can we give Jeannie a hand for a great job that she did last week? Well, if you're new here this morning, this is a good time for you to be here. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few things, and it's not to make you uncomfortable, but it's simply uh, to let you know that we, we believe in what we're talking about. And so if you're new here this morning, I truly believe that whether you get in one of our groups that we're talking about, I truly believe that you can walk away here with something in your life that will make you a better person. So if you could just hang on with us and, and, and enjoy this. Sometimes I won't be talking to you. Sometimes I will be. There's vast array of people here this morning. And so um, we believe that community groups are essential. In fact, we believe that groups are God's plan for creating and sustaining community. So here's the main idea I want to work with today. I'm going to pray. We're going to work with this main idea, and we'll go from here. So here's the idea I want to work with, that creating community takes work. Creating community takes work. We believe that groups create community, but in order to do that, we believe that it takes work. So I need your prayers because I need to give this with grace, and we'll all be graceful together. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this morning, for this opportunity to, to discover your word, to discover new and fresh stories. We pray that it would impact our lives in an amazing way and that we would take next steps towards spiritually journeying with you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things that I'm learning as a leader is that mission and vision are essential to an organization. That mission and vision create 
order in, a, in an organization. You've got to hear that. It creates order in an organization. And so over the last two years, we've, we've come here and we've tried to align things that fit in with our mission and our vision. And so it feels like we've taken some things away, but we've added other things, but all for keeping the order of what this church is heading toward, which is to become a community of hope. We want to be hope for people. Now, here's the thing. There are times within an organization and leadership where something or someone does not fit in to, I shouldn't say fit in, but rather steps outside of the order. They step outside of the mission, vision and mission, and what happens in that moment, it, it creates friction. It creates tension. It creates what I call slack. And the reality is, is when you're heading somewhere, wherever there is slack, someone else is going to have to pick up the slack to keep it on track. Right? You know this to be true, that, that you've had this in life, that wherever you are, there are times in your life where you have to pick up the slack to keep things on track. Perfect example. Have any of you watched the Olympics when people are rowing these long, massive boats, and there are like 10 females or males in there, and they're rowing, and all of a sudden, somebody's oar breaks. What happens? They dip out of the boat, they jump out of the boat, and they keep rowing. But in that moment, in order for the boat to keep going at the same rate of speed, those people have to pick up the slack to keep that boat on track. Right? Say that with me. Pick up the slack to keep it on track. You've had this in your job, right? Tell me there's a time in your job where you went to work, you showed up, and your boss said to you, hey, so-and-so got so mad they just walked off the floor. Oh, by the way, you need to bust all of their tables today. Or you need to, to take all of those tables today. You're going to have to do that because they're sick or they just walked off. Or maybe your boss told you you had to, to cover for somebody else who was going to be gone. You had to pick up the slack to keep it on track. I also like to think about uh, times in our life where, how many of you have had collaborative projects? Like, I'm sorry, but collaborative school projects are contradictions because not everybody cooperates. Not everybody cooperates in a collaborative project. And you know, and I know, that in those moments when people don't show up to be part of the project, you have to pick up the slack to keep it on track. And so this morning, I think that our spiritual journeys are somewhat the same. I think our spiritual journeys are somewhat the same, that we, we like to think that other people are responsible for our spiritual growth. And the reality is, is that if you are in a community that's going to thrive, you have to be in groups that work together. But when one decides that they don't want to be part of the group, there is slack. And I want you to hear this, that slack is the seething current that kills community. Slack is the seething current that will kill a community. So we are on a mission to become a community of hope, and we truly believe that in order for you to have hope, which is restoration in your life, there needs to be transformation. And transformation happens in groups. It happens when we are together, sharing, growing, and learning together. And whenever you decide, whenever you decide that you don't want to be part of that, you create slack in the organization. You create slack in our mission and our purpose to change lives. And so this morning, I'm asking you to pick up the slack to keep it on track. Because a slack is the seething current that kills community. And so I want, I want to talk to you this morning about a letter written that kind of helps us understand this concept. There's a gentleman named Paul, and you're like, well, who's Paul? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. But Paul writes this letter to a particular community that he's concerned about in this 
random place called Thessalonica. It's a weird, goofy name. And he, you're saying, well, why would he write a letter to them? And who is Paul? Well, Paul was this, this, this religious leader who felt like his religious system was in jeopardy. You ever felt like that? Felt like your religious beliefs, your religious system was in jeopardy. And you're saying, well, who caused that? Well, there were these people who were called followers of the way. We call them Christians today. They didn't call them Christians back then. They were called followers of the way. And you're saying, what way? Like, which way? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, see, we believe that there was this guy named Jesus who was a man who was the full representation of God's love to the world. And we believe that he took on the things that make you feel like you are dying and the things that are actually making you die. And he took those upon himself, took them to the grave, and then he defeated them by coming back to life. And so there were people in the first century that witnessed this man named Jesus who comes to life and they saw it with their own eyes. And so it created this massive movement in the first century. And what we find about this movement is that these are people who are constantly gathered together in communities and groups where they share meals together, they are praying together, they are growing together, and they are giving all that they have to this movement. And Paul, who writes the letter to us today, is, he's scared to death. He's afraid that this movement will supersede his Jewish systematic religious beliefs. And so Paul becomes one of the biggest persecutors that the followers had ever known in the first century. And you're saying, well, what happened? This is important. He was on this road and Jesus, this guy that was raised to life, meets him and says to him, why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute my people, you are persecuting me. And Paul has this radical experience of God's grace and he becomes the new church planner of the modern world. He goes from being a persecutor to a church planner. And so he plants churches all over the world and Thessalonica is one of those places. So, you're saying, what does that have to do with today's idea that creating community takes work? Well, it's funny because Paul has already written this community a letter. And you know, when communities don't get it right, you just write them a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And hopefully they'll get it by the sixth time, you know. Like, so Paul has written his second letter to them. And what I love is that Paul is addressing a major issue that the church faces or that this community faces. Now. The issue that they're facing is Jesus' second coming. You're like, what? And Jesus said to us that he will come in the same way that he left the world. And so how, how could Jesus' second coming become an issue for this community? Well, the reality is, is people were so excited about Jesus coming back that they decided that it was going to be soon, so they would just quit everything that they're doing. They'd quit their jobs, they'd quit their professions, they'd just essentially quit everything that they're doing. And just wait. And we find that people are going to other people's houses and they're sort of mooching off of them, right? They're eating their food, they're, they're, they're relying on other people's work, and they're not even financially contributing to this community. And we find that Paul describes them. I love this. Paul describes them as truant. Now, we often think about students who are truant. But 
Paul writes to this community to say that truancy doesn't produce community. Truancy doesn't produce community. And so he gives them some, some advice to this community about people who are essentially living off everybody else waiting for Jesus to come back. And here's what he says. I love it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll have it up on the, the screen for you. He says this. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, I love this, to keep away from every believer who is idle. Now, let's stop there for a minute. In the church, we often like to point at people that aren't Christians. We like to point out what's wrong with them, how their lives are messes. And the reality is, Paul often instructs believers to judge those who are believers not those who are outside the community or don't believe in God to begin with. I think Paul's a bit harsh. You think I'm harsh. You should have lived with Paul for a while. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. Now, what are the teachings? Let's get down to verse 11. He says that we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, and they are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and hear this. Earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing good. You see, I think the busy people are the ones that are doing the good in this moment. They're working toward a purpose. They're working toward mission. They're working toward a community. And this is good. He says, take special note. I love this. Take special note. It's almost like Jeannie talking about the private parts that we sort of have to hide when we talk about the body of Christ. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not, man, this, I'm telling you, Paul is harsh. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Woo. Yeah, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a fellow believer. I love it this morning that Paul seems to be concerned with two words, idle, idleness and disruptive. Idleness and disruptive. Now, we may see that they're two separate categories, but I, want, I think what Paul wants to say to us today is they are actually one thing. That you can actually be idly disruptive. Like, inaction is the worst action. That when you are doing nothing, you're actually doing something. And I think what Paul wants, the best example I can give is a car. When I think of the word idle, I think of a car. A car is designed for you to go from point A to point B. But there are times when you get up in the morning, there's snow in your car, and you start your car to warm it up. It's idling at that point. There are times you come to an intersection, there are times you come to a stop sign, and you have to wait your turn. And your car is idling. Now, we would never think that our car idling is a bad thing. Because it's still running. Some of us have issues, like we get to the stop sign and our car, you know, you've had that. But we would never consider idling a bad thing. But think about this. When you are idling, you are stopped. You're not moving. So your car can be running. It can be a busy body. It can be doing all these things, but it's not doing the purpose that it was actually designed to do. It's not taking you from point A to point B, which is actually a disruption in the purpose of that car. So Paul says to us, he says, 
you can be idly disruptive. Another way I like to think about it is this, is that sometimes, sometimes we like to be passive. Sometimes there are situations that require your attention, your attention and you are passive to it. I like to say this, that avoidance, avoidance where attention is needed is toxic. Avoidance where attention is needed is toxic. And Paul in this moment says that you are busy, you are busy doing absolutely nothing. He's talking to the community and saying that you are disruptive. And what Paul wants to say to the people of Thessalonica is that you are, excuse me, my friends, you are pretenders. You are creating a false sense of community. When you are idly sitting by, you are passive and you are receiving and you're not giving. You are creating a false sense of community. And he says, you think you're part, but you aren't. And he's warning these people. Be warned of the people who the aren'ts, who are the aren'ts, who are idly disruptive. So what does Paul say to do? I love it in verse 10. He says this. He says, for even when you were with, when we were with you, we gave you this rule. In other words, we gave you a way to live because this seems to be a problem for you over and over and over again. He says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. He says, settle down and earn your food. Settle down and earn your food. Creating community takes work. And sometimes we don't want to work at the things that take work. Now hear me when I say this. The greatest problem we face is acknowledging that we are the problem. The greatest problem that you and I face, that we face, is acknowledging that we are the problem. You see, often in our jobs, we tell our bosses the reason we didn't get our job done is because of somebody else, or we make an excuse. The reason why we point at divorce and say it's their fault is because we don't want to acknowledge that we may have had some part in it. There are times in our lives where we may feel disconnected or we feel like we're alone or we feel like nobody cares. And the reality is Paul wants to say to us this morning, wake up, stand in the mirror and own it that you are not putting in the work. You are being passive and it is corruptive to the community. And so I've been thinking about this, that spiritually, spiritually we do the same thing. We think that somebody else is responsible for our spiritual development. In fact, I'll take all the blame. Often people do. It's, it's the pastor's response that I don't feel fed. It's the Sunday school teacher's response, I don't feel fed. It's, it's, it's the, 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 the genie's response, responsibility that I don't feel fed. And can I ask a question this morning? When did feeling fed when did feeling fed become an excuse for not feeding yourself? I like to think of, I love sweets. Anybody in here love sugar? I love sugar. I could eat it all day, but I also like recognize I need to lose some weight. So I, I try to count my calories. I check my caloric intake, which means that there are a lot of times I use sugar substitutes. Uh, natural sugar substitutes. I like stevia. They paid me another $100 to pitch stevia today. Um, but I like stevia. The problem with stevia is that it is like three times sweeter than sugar. 
And so what happens scientifically, your body, when you begin to digest and ingest sweeteners, your, your taste buds become awake. And they awaken to the fact that your body is about to receive calories. And so when I begin to take in this substitute sweetener, my body feels like I am getting a sweet treat. It feels like I am satiating that sweet tooth. But what scientists have found is that people who use substitute sweeteners actually eat all those calories at the end of the day because they weren't actually being fed. And so I think that we often, we often use language of I'm not feeling fed when the reality is you're the one that's supposed to be doing all the feeding. Paul says you need to do the work. You're the one responsible for, for feeding yourself. If you have problems in your marriage, if you cannot get your job done and you feel like you're blaming everybody else, if you feel like nobody cares about you or you're feeling like you're disconnected or you're not spiritually growing, Paul says, step up to the table and produce your own food. Work for what you eat. Now, I want you to know this. That an unwillingness to work is a refusal to thrive. An unwillingness to work is a refusal to thrive. And you say, why is that? Because we feel like essential to a thriving community is this little word, hope. That to make somebody whole, to make somebody live into the human life they were designed to live, you have to be made whole. You have to live into that purpose. You have to thrive. But Paul says, you have to take responsibility. If you don't end up at the table, he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't work, you don't eat. So you're saying, what do you want me to know? There are, there are some of us today who are on the fence about faith. There are some of us who have questions and you're saying, what do you want me to do next? The reality is, is all I can tell you, what, what I know to be true is this, is that inaction is the worst action. That if you stand passively by, life will never make sense to you. I know this to be true as well, that each of us has something inside of us that is longing to be part of something. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you follow God or not, you want to be part of a community. You want to be part of something. And we realize that when we gather into groups, there is something about that that begins to pull out of us goodness. You see, we can't recognize our own faults. And there are boxes, as my wife says, there are boxes in your basement that are rotting and molded. And you may look perfect on the outside, but on the inside, you are destroying yourself. You are dying. And so I'm, I want to say to you, if you're new and, and you're not sure about this whole thing, I would, I would love for you to get involved in a group, and here's why. Because when we get in groups, this is the opportunity for you to ask questions that won't get answered in this place right here. You have questions that you would be afraid to ask anywhere else, and we don't want you to be afraid at this church. Maybe you have different thoughts about the Bible. Maybe you think you're kooky as I am. I mean, I've got some weird thoughts, and that's okay. So do you. But often we're afraid to express those. And maybe you feel like if you were to express those, you would feel like you're not part of, you're out of it. 
No, 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 no. We want you to know that group is where that happens. So here's what we do. Here's what I want you to do. Getting invested means getting connected. Getting invested means getting connected. Now, we are restructuring our values. We want each of our values to have one action. So, like, when we talk about seeking God, we want people to do that through this time, our gathering. Now, we've been using the word invest as a way of talking about giving what you have of your resources. But I rather like the language of being invested by getting connected. We think small groups are the greatest investment you can make in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual life. So I want to challenge you to get invested by getting connected. Now, there are some of us here this morning. My wife says I need to say it with grace. So maybe I'll smile like Joel Osteen. Oh, God loves you. I love Joel. No, seriously, I wish I could be more like him in demeanor, but um, I'm, I'm not. There are some today who we feel like maybe groups aren't for us. Maybe you've been part of a group over the last year and you felt like it, it wasn't for me. It didn't work. Maybe. Maybe you're just simply refusing. Maybe you didn't know that we had groups. You didn't know you were supposed to be a part. But we make strategic decisions in our lives. And the reality is there are some of us this morning, trying to say it with grace, I'll smile. We were refusing, we were refusing to be part of what's essential to our spiritual formation. And I want you to know this morning that a refusal, a refusal to work is a refusal to eat. Yes, I get it that small groups are inconvenient. I get it that small groups are really messy. I get it that, trust me, on Sunday afternoon, the last thing I want to do when I go home is help Janelle clean our house and, and, and be stressed out and figure out how we're going to make this meal and you're yelling at our kids. I, I don't enjoy that. But here's what I do know to be true. They're messy. They're inconvenient. They are a struggle. They can be a pain. Sometimes it just gets a little bit chaotic. But the, really, the reality is, is that groups change lives. Your small group, the group that you get in has the capacity not only to change your lives, but to change others' lives. And, and what Paul wants to say to us today is that you have to work for it. You have to work for it. It takes hard, hard work to be part of a thriving community. And my question to you, and the question you need to ask yourself is, am I the one causing slack? Here's the harsh reality. Our church is moving somewhere. We are going somewhere. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have a vision. We believe groups are essential to that. And if you are saying, I don't want to be part, I refuse to be part, and you are refusing to eat at our table, and you are creating slack within the community. And it actually kills what's going on here. So this morning, I would love to challenge you. saying, what's my next step? Where do I need to go from here? Well, the first place is the internet. 
you all have that. Probably some of you are watching on your phones right now, like, you know, what time is it? And you're looking at other things. That's okay. I get it. Um, but you go on our website, www.joliatnaz.org, and you will find a tab that says Next Steps. And there are six next steps on our site that we truly believe, and we're working on these, that will move people and assimilate people into our community. And one of those is small groups. So we would love for you to go on our website, go down to the part where it says community groups, and sign up for one of those groups. And like I said, you may not be a Christian. You may not believe in this whole God thing. You might have lots and lots and lots of questions you might not want to be part of a group this year, but the reality is, and the truth is, and I know this to be true, you will feel disconnected, and you will feel hungry, and you'll have no clue how to feed yourself. So can I encourage you to step up to the plate, to look in the mirror and own it, that maybe it's time for you to take responsibility for your own spiritual formation and work to make our community better. Now, I've got to land this plane. I love at the end when Paul says we have to warn people. I don't agree with Paul, and that's okay. I don't agree with how Paul says that we should just ignore them. But I think the greatest warning we can give to people at this point is to invite them. I know some of you are like, he just disagreed with scripture. Well, Paul was a human just like you and me. That's how they dealt with things in their day. But this is 2017, soon to be 2018. I would love for you to invite people. We need to become a community. Part of our problem is we have not become an inviting community. And maybe your next step is not in a small group, although it really should be. But maybe your next step is just inviting somebody to come and be part of what we're doing here. Maybe it's inviting them to small group first. You know that one of our founders of our faith required people to go to a small group before they could actually be part of the church. You, you would get a ticket to go to church like it was some theater. So maybe the starting point for your friend, maybe the starting point for one of your relatives or coworkers or somebody else is you inviting them into your group where they can express everything that they have questions about. And maybe someday you'll be here. Maybe someday. So, go online, sign up for a group, and Pastor Jeannie's going to get you all connected. She's going to get you signed up in groups. It's going to start now. They'll start September 11th is when those things will begin, when small groups will begin. But we need you to invite people to this because it matters and it changes lives. Well, one of the things we do every week is we respond to this message we respond to God's call on our lives. We respond to the, the guttural feel with inside of us that God is moving us by coming to the table. So this morning, I would love for those serving uh, communion, serving the table to come forward. We believe that this is an experience of God's grace for you. We believe that if you are searching after God, this is for you. And this is a wonderful place. A wonderful place to say yes to what God is doing in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks and praise for your goodness to us. We give thanks 